made it to 2022. Honestly, it's all a bit of a blur to me, but I'm happier here listening to Elwood Talks, the first podcast about destination weddings in Greece. My name is Sanya, the founder of Elwood Magazine, and I will be your host today. Join me in this new episode where we talk with Lynn Resnick about four wedding day timeline mistakes couples make and how to avoid them. Behind the lens of Lynn Resnick Photography is Lynn, an educator turned photographer on a mission to share her knowledge and lessons learned from nearly a decade of industry experience. A lifelong learner at heart, Lynn combines her passion of training and mentoring with a unique teaching approach grounded in proven educational practices. As the founder of the Wedding Client Experience Academy, Lynn offers an easy-to-digest online curriculum based on the four fundamental pillars. In addition to proven ongoing mentoring and coaching initiatives, Lynn shares several complementary resources on her site's educational hub, including the style shoot, planning and timeline spreadsheet. A sought-after expert in her field, Lynn's insight has been recently published in Rangefinder magazine, The Rising Tide Society, SpecialEvents.com and The Knot. Her work has been featured in multiple publications such as the Boston Wedding Magazine, Junebug Weddings, Style Me Pretty, Glamour and Grace and so on. In this episode, you can get to know Lynn and take away some key points on wedding timeline mistakes couples tend to make. Now, let's get started. Hello, Lynn. How are you doing? And welcome to Elwood Talks podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Yes. Uh, So tell us a little bit about your story and how did you start your photography career? Sure. So I was actually a high school history teacher after college for 10 Mm -hmm. years and something totally different and got into photography and weddings in general when I was planning my own. I married my college sweetheart in 2008 and when started looking for photographers realized how much photography had changed as a craft and you know digital photography I have been looking back at my parents Mm -hmm. photos and my grandparents photos and it's very kind of like formal and posed and um almost studio feeling and, uh, you know, things today are obviously so different with the craft. And so got really into it then. And soon after we got married in 2008, I bought my first, um, DSLR camera and then started just playing around a little bit. And in 2010 and 2011 ended up getting mentored and taking some workshops with my wedding photographer. So Mm -hmm. local, which was great. And was one of the first people doing workshops, for photography and then took me on as a mentee and I did about 15 weddings with her over the course of one one year and it worked out well because as a teacher I had summers off and weddings were kind of at their height in the summer and so Mm -hmm. I was go along with her and third shoot and assist her and learn on the job in like a low pressure situation because she didn't need my photos she did a lot of just teaching they were bonuses if they worked out and I got to you know fail and try things right on the job with her and I also worked in her studio over the summer so I learned the business side there as well Um, so that was all just an amazing experience of getting to like learn on the job with her and then in 2012 I launched my business as Um, a part-time thing and was still teaching for the next few years and working in an educational nonprofit. 
and mm-hmm. took my business full time in 2017 and haven't looked back. Oh, wow. And what an amazing story. And also, it's so important when you mentioned that you had a mentor. Um, I think that uh, lately, you know, we just dive into our businesses because we read something online or we see something online and we are like, okay, I can do this. So <laughs> we just jump into this uh, unknown. And then many of us are like, okay, what's going on? Where do I start now? Now I have to find somebody to help me. <laughs> so this is really cool that you mentioned that. Um, yeah, I think uh, having a mentor or somebody that guides you from the beginning is so beneficial to uh, when you're starting out, basically. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I totally agree. I would not have built my business as quickly as I did or, you know, be as successful as I am without, without that guidance. And it's something that I definitely pay forward now. So I have had um, two mentors, mentees over the last few years uh, with COVID. Um, 2020 was kind of a wash. So my 2020 mentee joined me again this year and actually got to come on about 15 weddings with me or 18 weddings with me this year, which was great. But I love being able to pay that forward now and actually mm-hmm. help people get you know their feet wet in the industry and, and start off on the right foot. Super important. Yeah, that's really nice that uh, you're offering that. Um, okay, so what would you say that inspires you in your business? Oh my gosh, so many things. Um, such a good question. I think, well, first of all, just love stories and being able mm-hmm. to capture those. That's why I'm weddings in particular, and I don't, you know, advertise portraits or like family mm-hmm. or other things. Like I, I love all of those kinds of um, opportunities, but my real focus is on engagements and weddings and telling love stories. Mm-hmm. Um, my own. Uh, love story plays a big role in that. And my grandparents' love story plays in a big role in that as well. They were married for 65 years when my grandmother passed and just had this oh, really wow. extraordinary in all of the simple ways, kind of a love story of raising four children together mm-hmm. and um, making a life together, just being fully committed to each other from start to finish. And so they're, they're huge role models for me and always inspire me. Uh, on that side of things to kind of document that legacy and that love. And then on the other side, thinking, I guess, more technically around photography, nature, architecture, great light uh, are all things that inspire me, like look for. And I think one of the places I love to look outside of the industry for inspiration is actually in movies and TV for how they like. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I do the same thing and shoot things it's really interesting um to to see for one of the my favorites actually is house of cards which is was yeah. on a while ago but very they're just like beautiful attention to detail and how they mm-hmm. use symmetry and lighting and set the scene and things like that so i i get inspired from that as well yeah I and mean, i personally do that too like i get all of the inspiration from the series and movies sometimes we are watching the series just to unwind but uh, yeah i always pay attention to how they do things in the movies or in the series <laughs> so it's so cool Same. my um, husband's always like can we just watch <laughs> i'm like that was so pretty can we go back <laughs> <laughs> exactly Okay, so today we will be speaking about four wedding day timeline mistakes that couples make and how to avoid them. But before we dive into the four mistakes, can you tell us a little bit more what wedding timeline is and why is it important? Yes, so a timeline for your wedding day just lays out 
It can be really as detailed as, as you want to make it. I've seen ones that are like 10 minute chunks of time, even basically from wow. when, you know, your hair and makeup starts and your day kicks off uh, through the end of the evening. And it breaks everything out um, for what vendors are going to arrive, when things are going to happen throughout the day, uh, thinking about when hair and makeup needs to finish, when your portraits will begin, your transportation needs to be included in there if there's multiple locations, um, when dinner service will start or when cocktail hour starts and ends, how long your ceremony is. It kind of involves all of those things and it maps out what your day will look like and how it will flow from start to finish. Yeah, and who usually sets this? Like, okay, obviously the couple. And should they have some help when setting the timeline with some professionals? Absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah, the couples are going to want to be involved, but certainly this is something where you can lean on your vendors. Mm -hmm. I think if you have a planner, they're going to take care of this for you and work closely with your other vendors to coordinate. If you don't have a planner, this often falls to the, to the photographer, which is why I'm here to talk about it today. <laughs> we're going to want to make sure that as your photographer, we're making sure that all of that time for formal portraits is booked in. And we have a lot of other people um, like the florist and hair and makeup and even the venue and catering that all are relying on us to um, run on time and know this, the schedule and they need to know, you know, their drop-offs and start and end times based around the, the photo schedule in a lot of ways. So we kind of become that default planner to help you do that if you don't have a planner that you're working with. And then, of course, for the second part of the evening, the venue coordinator, um, you know, the person at your venue is going to be able to help with the flow of the evening once you're at that venue for your reception. Yeah. And if I can just add here. Uh, even if the couple has a wedding planner, it's so important to also speak with a wedding photographer because uh, sometimes wedding planner doesn't really filter in the time that is needed for portraits. Uh, so usually things get off track when the couple has to leave on another location. Um, so that usually takes some time with driving or commute. And I think all these things need to be also uh, added to the timeline. Do, uh, do you think that's important? A hundred percent. And yeah, I think that planners, I would hope, you know, all the planners that I've been lucky enough to work mm -hmm. with reach out ahead of time to the vendor team and, you know, photographers and to make sure, Hey, how does this look? Do you need anything shifted? Um, and so are willing to work with you on that. But if they're not doing that, it is important to loop the photographers in for sure, just to make sure that that time is there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go into the four mistakes that you see couples make. Sure. So the first one here, all of these, by the way, right, because they're timeline things, it's usually not enough time. So that's just the spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> um, but the first one here is not budgeting enough time during the getting ready process. And specifically within that, that period of time between when hair and makeup ends and you have to leave to go to your ceremony or your first look if you're doing one. So mm -hmm. this is that time that, you know, hair and makeup wraps up. And then a lot of people are like, okay, great. All I have to do is hop into my dress and then we can leave and we're good to go. Um, this happens. It's more for, I think, the ladies than the guys. The guys tend to be able to flow pretty quickly and get dressed quickly and just have like less going on during the yeah. prepping. Um, that's not true for all of them, but that's true for 
you know, often true. Um, so mm -hmm. the ladies will think about this. I'm just popping in my dress and getting getting on the road. Um, but the truth is that there are more and more options for things to do between, you know, hair and makeup finishing and when you leave. So if you want to exchange a note or a gift with your significant other before you see each other and you want to do that, you know, dressed or even with hair and makeup done, you need to add in time for that to happen, for you to open that that note and read it or open that gift. If you mm -hmm. wanted to um, a robe or pajama shot with all of the, the girls before they get dressed, that takes a little bit of time. And then all of the, the ladies need to get dressed. All of your wedding party needs to get dressed. And then you need to get into that dress. And I will say that <laughs> that is something that um, can often take longer than you think, even if you have a simple zipper. So yeah. it's important to leave time for, and even like a parent reveal or a grandparent reveal, if you want to have that moment of a reveal once you're ready before you leave together for the next stop on the day and getting the day started, all that stuff adds up and it can just lead to you running behind or feeling really stressed right from the start of your day if you don't plan enough time for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how can couples make sure to keep on the course, to keep on the timeline? Yeah, so it is first step is just to plan for more time than you think. I always say mm -hmm. you need at least 45 minutes after hair and makeup wraps before you leave. Uh, and the other thing to do is to practice getting into your dress the week before your wedding. And I mean, fully, fully practice. So like, don't just try it on and make sure it fits. Like if you have, you know, boob tape or you have a, corset that you need to lace up or you have all of those other elements um you know if you need to cut like the cut straps off or like think about all the things so run through the full process of getting into your dress the way you're actually going to do it on your wedding mm -hmm. day so that you know about how much time it really is going to take you to get yourself together and and you know final uh that final look before you have to step mm -hmm. out yeah. And what happens if somebody is late or, I don't know, somebody isn't coming at the wedding or there's some kind of a delay? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's inevitable to some degree that someone's going to have to, you know, they forgot something. They're running a little late. Mm -hmm. like maybe, you know, hair and makeup runs over because an, uh, an extra bridesmaid mm -hmm. decided they wanted, you know, false lashes or something like that and wasn't planning for it. And they just take time. So adding that cushion of time in in general is going to be like the number one takeaway from today. Always add more time than you think, add some cushions. But I think one of the things might be on that hair and makeup side is just to leave that additional cushion of maybe having them plan to be done um, 15 or 20 or even 30 minutes earlier than you actually mm -hmm. need them done. So that if someone's late and they couldn't get started on that, that last bridesmaid, because she, you know, was late rolling into the, the getting ready suite, there's still time for that to happen. And you're not actually running behind schedule that way. Um, mm -hmm. And then if you are, or if something does happen, I mean, it's easy to really feel stressed about it, but remember that it's your wedding day and things aren't going to happen without you. So if people need to wait, if it starts a few minutes late, that kind of thing, it's not the end of the world. And it's more important to just stay calm and work with your vendor team to figure out how to make up for some of that time if you do start mm -hmm. falling behind a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And when do you usually, I mean, you personally, when is it best for you to take the couple for, uh, for couple's portraits? 
Yeah. So it really is up to my couple in terms of whether they do a first look or not. So that first mm-hmm. look, seeing each other before the ceremony or not doing that, that is generally, I leave that up to them. And I have probably half and half of my couples, 50% really want that traditional ceremony reveal. And the other half are ready to see each other earlier and want to get formal portraits taken and out of the way so that they can join, you know, their cocktail hour and and spend Mm -hmm. every possible moment with their couples. Um, This actually leads maybe to our next one, which we can talk about, which the Mm -hmm. the do weigh in or that I would be concerned about is if you held a couple couples who hold a sunset ceremony, but Mm -hmm. they don't do a first look. Mm -hmm. That's a mistake that couples make and is easily avoidable. But what happens there is that it means you don't have time in sunlight for your natural portraits. Because if you're getting married with the sunset, that means you're going to have very little natural light sun, sunset or sunlight left. Mm-hmm. And you'll need to move your portraits indoors, which is mm-hmm. totally fine. And as long as you have a you know professional photographer who mm-hmm. knows how to use flash, you're going to be in good hands. But a lot of times, especially for uh, someone who's a little more lighter and brighter aesthetic like myself, Mm -hmm. that means that you're not going to end up with photos that look like what you've seen because lighting with flash indoors is just very different than using sunlight outside. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know that. Um, And then the other thing, no matter what, whether it's sunset or not, to just have as a side note is to think about if you don't do your first look, and you have this sunset, and then you just have cocktail hour for your photos, that means Mm -hmm. all of your photos, family, your wedding party, and your couple's portraits all have to happen in 60 minutes of a cocktail hour, and that can feel rushed. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing all of them, get creative and talk to your photographer about still trying to do some of them earlier. That will help you avoid you know, that all indoors feel and you light all of them. You can still do some of your separate family portraits, your individual photos and some wedding party photos all separate and kind of take care of those and then just come together after the ceremony for those last ones um, mm-hmm. that require the two of you to be together. Um, but the biggest thing, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, it's okay. The biggest thing? Oh, I was going to say the biggest thing is with scheduling your ceremony, if you do want those natural light or those sunlight portraits, is to schedule it so that it ends 60 to 75 minutes before the sun sets, not starts, but ends, so that you still have that full hour of sunlight left to take portraits in together. Okay, this was my question, actually. (laughs) How many hours do you usually suggest to take for portraits? How many, how many minutes or hours should the couples filter in? So this is going to differ photographer to photographer. For myself, I plan for 90 minutes to two hours, depending Mm -hmm. on, you know, cushion and how much sunlight we have or what time of year it is, but at least 90 minutes. And I look at that for basically 30 minute chunks of time for the three major groups that I'm looking at for formal portraits being family, wedding party, and couple. And I always like to try and get 45 minutes for the couple's portraits if that's possible, if the timeline will allow for that. So ideally you're looking at 90 minutes to two hours to do those. Yeah, that's a good, uh, good time chunk of the whole schedule. It is. And that's why it's so nice. If you think about 
doing everything after your ceremony and just over the course of a cocktail hour, let's say you're not getting married earlier in the day and you're just rolling right into cocktail hour and then right into your reception, that's just usually 60 minutes. And I'm asking for at least 90 for your photos. And so it's going to be really hard to do those formal ones without feeling pretty rushed, no matter Mm -hmm. what time of day. So it's really important to work with your photographer to figure out how you're scheduling in all that formal portrait time and giving the time they need so that you end up with those beautiful, thoughtful portraits that you want. Absolutely. Because those are, I think, one of the beautiful, the most beautiful photos when, you know, the couple is together and it's just the two of them. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So let's get to the third mistake. Sure. This one is, you actually already mentioned a little bit when we were talking about transportation, Mm. forgetting to add a time buffer for transportation. So a lot of times couples will look at They'll Google how long it takes to get from point A to point B for, you know, getting ready to get to their ceremony site. And they're like, great, it's 20 minutes. And they'll put 20 minutes on the timeline. And the problem with this is that wedding time moves really quickly and you're moving a lot of people around and you're Mm -hmm. not necessarily accounting for things like traffic or the fact that it's going to take five to 10 minutes to load a trolley full of 20 people, Mm -hmm. or maybe in a city for me, this happens a lot in Boston where my couple and all of their friends and family are on a trolley. They just get dropped off somewhere, but I have to park my car and Mm -hmm. that blocks away or in a separate garage. That's, you know, three levels underground. And it's just going to take a few more minutes for me as the vendor to get up and meet them off of that trolley. Um, But traffic is one of the big ones, I think, that we need to make sure that you're cushioning time for and then just those people moving around so that you you do run a few minutes late, you still have that cushion uh, and you're not actually going to be late. You can make it up and travel instead of now you're stressing about the traffic that you're seeing. One of the ways to avoid this is by using that, I use Google Maps to project the time it's important they have this great feature on there where you can actually choose the specific day of the week and the time of day. Mm -hmm. And it takes all that data and tells you like, normally here's this range. And you know, it's not going to be exactly 20 minutes because you're projecting out to a day of the week, but it'll tell you here's this range of time that it normally takes. Always Mm -hmm. use the longest range. Just give Mm -hmm. yourself that time and add some time on top of it, whether that's 10 minutes or 20 minutes Um, to make sure that you have that cushion. It's always better to be early and be able to be relaxed and stay stress-free than to cut it too close and then end up feeling stressed. Yeah, that's so correct and so true. Uh, What a great uh, advice with the Google Maps. I never thought of that. (laughs) They're so handy with that, being able to project out to that exact day, right? Because I know, you know, around Boston, rush hour traffic is so, so bad that it like triples the time it takes to go eight miles. (laughs) So usually that's true elsewhere in the world too, right? (laughs) Absolutely in the center for sure. But usually most of our weddings happen on some island or where it's a little bit more relaxed. But uh, also there in the summer, for sure, like Santorini is so tiny and tiny roads. I'm sure there's lots of traffic jams there too. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, don't put that in. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I actually went to um, Santorini for my honeymoon back in 2008. It was lovely. Um, but I just remember all the cruise ships dropping off people. And then all of a sudden it was being hard to navigate the roads because there were just so many people walking around. Exactly. And usually you don't think because you see these uh, beautiful pictures of Santorini where everything is empty, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then you arrive there and you're like, oh, oh, now it's not empty anymore. <laughs> yeah, it fills up so quickly just from people pouring yeah. off of those um, cruise ships. Exactly. It was wild. Um, yeah. Uh, so what is the, the last, the fourth mistake? This one is about the reception, and it is that couples underestimate the time needed for speeches. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what happens because of that, if you really severely underestimate the time that it's going to take for those speeches to happen, whether that's best man and maid of honor, or if you have parents speaking, or maybe it's a combination of those things happening, People will get hungry, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, it challenges your caterer a lot in terms of the quality of the food coming out because that is cooked and, and timed to come out hot and, um, you know, not overcooked, not undercooked. And when speeches run long, it's something that nobody can really plan for. And then your food is going to maybe be, you know, some people are going to get some overcooked meals or something's going to be cold and it's not going to, you know, allow the caterer to put their best foot forward either. Um, and it can even impact, you know, the time you have on the dance floor later because now dinner is going to run late. And so mm -hmm. you might end up with less time than you wanted on the dance floor even. Yeah, that is such a great point. And especially for the caterer, because usually, you know, we don't think what is actually required for the food to be ready for such an amount of people. Um, even if it's only 20 people, you know, it's still much more than what usually we cook at home, let's say, for comparison. Um, and even there, you see that, you know, there are certain times that there requires to be for the food to be ready. So it's so important to keep the timeline, especially for the for the dinner uh, to be on point. Yes, yes. And honestly, with the pandemic, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but it kept people apart for so long that this year coming back together, the speeches have been longer than ever because people are sharing more personal stories and just kind of indulging in this opportunity to be together, which is great, but it's making the speeches. I mean, I think we probably averaged 10 minutes of speech this year, which is a long time and can definitely push your dinner service kind of way off and be really stressful in that and, and getting everybody, you know, the meals in the best shape that they can be in. And maybe a good, uh, good point would be to move the speeches um, be, uh, after the meal or between the meals, maybe. Uh, usually, I don't know how it is in America, but usually in Greece, they are being when the when the dinner is served, um, they usually go per table. So table one gets first, table two gets second, and so on. So um, everybody that has a speech can you know, start eating before. And when they're done, the speech starts and some of the guests still eat, for instance, or are being served. Nice. Yeah. So similarly, we'll see speeches spread out between courses. So they'll mm -hmm. plate salads and then the, you know, dad might give a toast. And then yeah. once it's clear, they plate the, the next course and then the maid of honor and the best 
man or something like that, you know, people, the wedding party will speak. So those are definitely good options. And to make sure sometimes they'll front load it and they'll just do them all right away before, you know, just over salad. Yeah. People are done with salads. And then there's like this long, that can be proved to be too long in between. Mm -hmm. And now you're waiting to get the other courses out. So that's one great idea for kind of how to avoid that. The other one I would give is actually to talk to the people who are going to be giving speeches and just lay expectations for them up front. Mm-hmm. My last wedding of the year was just last weekend, actually. And the dad was just too funny. He got up to speak and he started by saying, my daughter made it very clear that I am not to speak for more than five minutes. So <laughs> I try to keep this short. Uh, and he just kind of leaned into that and he did a very good job of keeping it. I think he used every possible second he was allowed, but she made it really oh. clear to him <laughs> that five minutes was like the max and they wanted to be able to move on with the evening. And it was really lovely. It didn't take anything away from his speech, but she made that, those expectations clear. And I think that's totally fine to do for anyone giving a speech. Let them know that you want them to be, you know, two to five minutes, not 10 to 15, if that's something that you prefer. Yeah, absolutely. Would you suggest um, couples would um, ask from the people that are giving a speech to, to hear it before? Or would you prefer it to be a surprise? I think most couples would want it to be a surprise myself. I don't know. It's a great one. I do have on here though, even if they're not sharing it ahead of time with the couple that they should practice it themselves aloud and time themselves. Yeah. So that's another thing, like tell them how much time you want them to, to use and then let them know that they should actually practice it aloud and time themselves so they can see how much time it really takes. Cause you know, those, you all of a sudden they whip out like a five page speech and you realize you're going to be there for 20 minutes. Uh, and they thought that it was going to just fly fast because they were going to be nervous or something. So practicing out loud is really important. Totally. That's a really good point. Uh, what would you say is your favorite uh, tool to plan or to create a timeline? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I actually just, I use uh, my own like word doc now. I am so not fancy. I know that, but I'm also not planning. I'm planning a basic timeline in the sense of from the photographer's perspective. And then, you know, it impacts other vendors a little bit, but it's pretty clear cut in terms of just blocking out the time of the day in like 30 minute chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for their like aisle planner and some of the other planning resources, actually timeline genius is another one that I know that like planners use that give you a lot more detail when you're doing it and can kind of help you create those custom timelines that incorporate a lot of the vendors. Um, But for me, it's a pretty simple like word doc. And I, at this point, I just know a basic outline of the day that I'm using. And I actually share one with my couples up front. Once they book me, I'll Mm -hmm. send along a magazine that has a couple different samples in it. So they have a sense of it too. Mm -hmm. That's great. And do you usually share, I mean, do you usually contact a planner if they don't contact you? Uh, or some other vendors and say, hey, guys, I got booked by this client, uh, blah, blah. Here is my timeline. Yes. So with the, I always do it with the couple first when I'm planning um, 
if there is a planner involved, I'll always reach out and just say, hey, I would love to, you know, take a look at the timeline. I also want to be really respectful that they're coordinating with a team of vendors and I'm not their only priority. And so I always mm -hmm. ask what their process is. I think that's important because if I'm asking for the timeline six months out and they're not putting it together until two months before, mm -hmm. me asking for that that early is probably going to be really annoying to them. And so I just, I always say like, I'd love to look at it when you have it ready, but I'd love to know what your process is because every planner is a little different. Um, and then be able to share, you know, my two cents on it and make sure that the time is there that we need, you know, we need for portraits, et cetera. Um, and then in terms of couples who don't have a planner where I'm really taking the lead on creating the timeline with them, I generally schedule a check-in call six months before their wedding. And I do it that early because it allows them to they haven't sent their invitations yet usually. So it allows them to tweak their ceremony time if they need to, or move things a little bit, if they need to be adjusted slightly. They haven't now like locked themselves in and invited a hundred guests with um, these times, you know, that we're gonna now change mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. catch it early. And we'll go through together and block it all out and I'll send it to them. And I, you know, offer to send it to, um, you know, the hair and makeup artists, or usually I'll just let them know, because I don't necessarily know who all their vendors are at that point. Mm -hmm. you, know, you should share this with the hair and makeup artist and the florist. And the reason is they're going to want to know when they need to be finished mm -hmm. your makeup. And the florist is going to want to know when they need to drop off your personal flowers, like those bouquets and boutonnieres. So they're going to want to have those delivered to you in time for portraits and, um, or, you know, uh, styling like loose blooms for styling your details. And so make sure to just share this information with them. That's a great point. Um, yeah, because every vendor that is working at your wedding uh, needs to be informed of what, what and where and what time they have to, as you say, arrive and finish and pack up. <laughs> and when the cer ceremony starts, and especially if the ceremony is in the same location as the dinner later, you know, things have to be set in advance, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's always a lot of moving parts, a lot of people involved. So being able to get the basic structure of your timeline set early and then, mm -hmm. you know, sending it along to other vendors to make sure that it works for everyone is always a great way to do it. And that way you're not running into issues that are harder to fix like a week before or the day of. Absolutely. Is there one question that almost every client asks you about their wedding, about their timeline? I don't know. Is, do you have like this one big question that is uh, like the same for every couple? Oh, that's a great question. Honestly, a lot of them ask me about a first look and whether they should do mm -hmm. it or not. <laughs> and I, that's that's going to be a question I get from almost every single couple. Well, should we do a first look or what if we don't want to do a first look or how does that work? So a lot of questions around that. And like I said earlier, I usually will push it back on them a little bit and try to get more information because I want them to be able to have the day that they are dreaming of. And if they've always dreamed of having a ceremony reveal Mm -hmm. We're going to do things to help make that happen and still get the pictures in, you know, before and after, divide them up, whatever that looks like, whatever we need to do to make sure that that happens. But I also want to honor the things that are most important to them. So 
I think usually my answer to that question is not what they're looking for in the sense of uh, a definitive, you must do a first look or you must not, um, because I'm always going to ask what they want to do and then help them mm -hmm. get there. But that's a very mm -hmm. common one. That's a good point. And yeah, that's uh, uh, it's so important that you find out what exactly is your client is all about so you can advise them correctly. Yeah, the, the caveat would be that, you know, in, in winters here in New England, um, in the States, we have, it's, you know, it's getting dark at 4.30. So mm -hmm. if you're having your ceremony from 3.30 to 4.30 uh, and you we're going to have, I'm going to push you at that point to do a first look because you're not going to have any natural light at all, no yeah. sunlight. And you, you generally, you hire me because you see a lot of sunlit portraits and sunlit, mm -hmm. you know, candids and photos on my feed. So if you, if you are hiring me, most likely you value that, that natural light look. And so we mm -hmm. just need to work with like being reasonable around the timeline. And so that would be the only place where I might push for that is just to make sure that they're, they're thinking about what it really means if they don't do it. And then the sun is down at four o'clock. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, here, usually most of the weddings happen in the summer. So the sun sets like at nine or something. So there's plenty of time. But um, to that point, most of the weddings do happen later at night because it's so hot. So it's too hot actually to get married before in the summer. Oh my gosh, yeah. So you're still yeah. facing that kind of end of natural light even yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah, and the many um, many Greek uh, weddings, actually, local weddings, they actually happen at night, like at nine o'clock at night or something like that. The, you actually go to the church at nine o'clock at night and then the party until the morning hours. Well, that sounds really fun. But yeah, yeah. you want to make sure that your photos are done before that if you want to get any sense <laughs> Shine in exactly. There. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so tell us a bit more what you're currently working on. Sure. So I am currently gearing up to support my couples and photograph another set of, you know, beautiful love stories for next year. And next year is proving, at least in the States here, to be pretty wild in terms of bookings and the number of weddings that are going to take place. So that's really busy. Uh, and then, you know, over these winter months, there's a lot of like check-ins and support and things like that, that I'll do with my couples. And the other big thing is that I have been speaking more and I actually launched my first course for other wedding vendors. So mm -hmm. I, and that launched last year and I'm in the launch process right now, actually, as we're recording for a, a second launch of that, it's called the Wedding Client Experience Academy. And mm -hmm. it is 10 lessons that get delivered to your email inbox all about um, client experience and how to create a repeatable but bespoke feeling client experience for each of your couples. And so that's the, the education side is the other thing that's kind of big on my radar right now and pushing that out there and starting to um, build a brand as an educator in the industry as well. Because I was a teacher before and yeah. it still runs in my blood here. That comes naturally to you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so amazing. Yeah, this it's really important, the client experience for all the wedding professionals, um, not just for photographers, I assume, but uh, also, you know, other wedding professionals need to um, work on this, uh, how, how the client actually 
experiences the whole wedding process because most of we that are in the business we are all like oh yeah okay we know this you know next but we are we forget that brides actually come to us not knowing anything about the wedding world not knowing where to start not knowing you know what is going to happen or anything so i think it's really important to educate the client what to expect exactly i completely agree that's a big part of my support and planning with them over the course of you know the year or eight months or whatever we have together and that's a lot of what I talk about in the academy is is how can you support and educate and be a resource just Mm -hmm. beyond you know that hired professional that you are to do a little bit more to really make that experience a positive one and a memorable one absolutely and for the last question uh, what advice would you give to all couples who are planning a destination wedding Oh, what a great question. Yes. I think the biggest thing is to find local vendors and local support so that you can get the that, you know, things like your timeline, things like knowing, you know, like the local either customs or maybe it's like curious things like everybody's closed on a Wednesday. I don't know, whatever that those things might be that you mm-hmm. just might not know and that um, other vendors may not know, the more you can work with a local vendor team of professionals in that area, I would, I think the better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great advice. Yeah. Um, okay. So where can people find you? Yeah. So I am Lynn Resnick Photography and my website is just www.lynnresnickphotography.com. And I'm on Instagram as Lynn Resnick Photo. Uh, so Great. that's where I spend the most of my most of my time. So it was lovely chatting with you. I think we covered a lot of timeline related issues. <laughs> yes, I hope this helps people. You know, budget though that extra time. Moral of the story: just add yeah. some time. <laughs> time will solve your all of your problems. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, uh, it was lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Thanks to the Mekonian Collection for supporting Elwood Talks. A local family-owned group of 11 outstanding luxury hotels, the Mekonian Collection is located on the legendary island of Mykonos that offers savvy guests a variety of the most fascinating venues. The whitewashed private chapel, avant-garde Talas Spa centers, gourmet restaurants and magnificent wedding venues for up to 1000 guests. Situated on the unspoiled Elia beach, which is renowned for its fine sand and crystal waters, with personalized support, excellent food and of course the impeccable service that the Meconian collection is known for, your ceremony can be an amazing outdoor experience overlooking the breathtaking panorama of the Aegean Sea and the unforgettable sunset. Book your stay now at meconiancollection.gr that's meconiancollection.gr Thanks for listening to Elwed Talks. I hope you found this show helpful and inspirational. You can subscribe and listen to Elwed Talks on some of your favorite platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor and many more. Head over to elva.com slash podcast to find out more.
If you found this episode helpful, feel free to leave a review or a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your chosen platform. If you are planning your wedding in Greece, make sure to download our Elwed magazine filled with resources and inspirational advice at elwed.com magazine. Or follow us on our socials for instant inspiration at elwedmag. On the other hand, if you just want to share your thoughts about this episode, ask a question or want to be on our next show, you can leave us a voice message on Anchor or head over to elwe.com slash podcast to get in touch. This podcast was brought to you by Elwed.